1: banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager.
3: And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today.
2: We begin in Washington. That's where a temporary spending bill to avoid a government shutdown this weekend has cleared its first hurdle. Bloomberg's Amy Morris has more from the nation's capital.
4: The Senate voted to advance the measure that will fund some federal agencies through March 1st and others through March 8th. The interim funding has the support of congressional leaders, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, so the prospects for passage in both chambers are good. It does not include several disputed items like aid for Ukraine, restrictions along the U.S. border, or an $80 billion business tax package. And there are hard-right conservatives in the House who oppose funding agencies at current levels, but Speaker Johnson can bypass them by relying on Democrats for support. In Washington, Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio.
3: All right, Amy, thanks. Well, now to the latest on the race for the White House. It's on to New Hampshire for the Republican candidates and Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports things are really starting to heat up.
2: Nikki Haley has been very careful not to directly attack Donald Trump, but one day after Iowa, she's calling him a bully and a liar. Trump lambasted Haley as a disaster. Now, this all comes with polling that shows the two very close in New Hampshire. Real clear politics has Trump by about 14 points, but the American research group even called it. Dead even at 44%, with Ron DeSantis at only 4%. Tomorrow's scheduled debate has been canceled because Haley declined if Trump wasn't going to be there. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Okay, Ed, thanks. Now let's turn to the Middle East. Israel and Hamas have reached a deal to deliver medicine and other aid to Gaza. That's according to the government in Qatar, which says this is in exchange for medicine reaching the hostages being held by Hamas. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says there is still a risk this war widens to a regional conflict. We do see a pathway to uh, a shift in the military campaign in Gaza, a reduction in tensions and the exchange of fire along Israel's northern border, a reduction in the risk of escalation in other parts of the region. And we'll have to continue to deal with with the Houthi threat. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Israeli President Isaac Herzog plans to bring the families of hostages to the slopes in Switzerland today to step up pressure for their release.
3: Well, Nathan, back here in the U.S., we are waiting for a key economic report as doubt grows on whether the Fed will start cutting rates as soon as March. And we get the very latest with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John.
5: And Karen, retail sales probably increased in December. However, the control group sales, which strip out volatile items, that likely slowed to a more subdued pace. Well, traders are latching on every piece of data as the Fed enters a blackout period next week. Yesterday, Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller threw a little cold water on the idea of Fed rate cuts as soon as March.
2: With economic activity and labor markets in good shape and inflation coming down gradually to 2%, I see no reason to move as quickly or cut as rapidly as in the past.
5: With Walner's comments, Treasury suffered their biggest one-day price drop in two months. Yields surged and also dragged stocks lower. John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio.
2: John, thanks. Rates are very much in focus overseas. At the World Economic Forum, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde said the ECB will probably cut rates by the summer.
6: I would say it's likely to, but I have to be reserved because we're also saying that we are data dependent and that there is still a level of uncertainty and some indicators that are not anchored at the level where we would like to see them.
2: ECB President Lagarde made those comments to Francine Laqua at Bloomberg House in Davos. You can hear their full conversation on the Bloomberg Talks podcast.
3: Well, Nathan, investors are scaling back their expectations for rate cuts from the Bank of England this year. That's because inflation in the UK unexpectedly accelerated for the first time in ten months. December's consumer price index was four percent higher than the previous year.
2: On Wall Street, Karen, J.P. Morgan Chase is bucking a trend. The bank plans to hire more workers. We caught up with J.P. Morgan President Daniel Pinto at Davos.
4: We are employing at the end of this year around three hundred and twenty thousand people. So the number of people that we employ has been growing and not shrinking. So uh, I think that where we see opportunities and we can help our clients for sure, we will focus on that.
2: Daniel Pinto's comments come after JP Morgan closed out the most profitable year in U.S. banking history.
3: Well, some more banking news this morning, Nathan. The government is unveiling a long-awaited rule that could slash the biggest bank's income from overdraft fees by as much as $3.5 billion each year. Under the regulation from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, banks would only be able to charge what it costs for them to break even for covering an overdraft or abide by a specific cap. That would effectively eliminate overdraft charges for customers, which right now average about $35. Let's
2: turn to some corporate news now, Karen. Apple has reached a milestone. The company's dethroned Samsung to become the world's top phone maker in uh, 2023. IDC estimates the iPhone accounted for a fifth of the global market last year with close to 235 million shipments. Apple's dominated recent holiday quarters, but the full year surge is unprecedented and it suggests Apple is weathering an industry-wide slump better than its rivals.
3: And finally, Nathan, it was supposed to be the merger from heaven or at least from 30,000 feet. But now a federal judge has blocked JetBlue's $3.8 billion acquisition of Spirit Airlines. The judge says the combination would stifle competition and raise fares for consumers. JetBlue and Spirit contended that consolidation is the only way smaller airlines can effectively compete with the dominant carriers. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by
4: Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. President Biden is worried about his supplemental bill stalling out in Congress. So he's inviting some of the key players to the White House today. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons with the latest. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre provided a list of those invited to the meeting. President Biden will host congressional leaders from the Senate and the House along with key committee leaders and ranking members. She says there's a lot to talk about, but President Biden has one topic he's especially concerned with. This is going to be about discussing critical critical importance of, of the president's national security supplemental request. That's the proposal to further fund Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. Republicans are refusing to move on that until there's a consensus on a new border policy. In Washington, Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says soil should be treated as a precious resource, telling the World Economic Forum in Davos that lack of food is causing unprecedented global migration flows and that Russia's war in Ukraine and attacks by Houthi rebels in the Red Sea have made things worse.
2: A parent who can't put food on the table for their children picks up the
4: family and moves because it's the most basic thing, the most important thing. That they can do. Blinken says the problem is likely to get worse as climate change threatens to reduce crop yields. Now, climate envoy John Kerry, also at the World Economic Forum, says he's stepping down from the role within the Biden administration so he can take on a more vocal position for the Biden campaign. He assured other world climate leaders that, yes, he'll still be
5: around. I'm going to stay at this. Uh, and, and there are so many different ways to continue to be able to be engaged in this so unfortunately you're stuck you'll see me at the cop the... uh... can't get rid of me yet
4: kerry says regardless of who wins the election the global climate agenda will remain solid and the world health organization says the number of adult tobacco users is on the decline the organization says the biggest decrease in tobacco use is seen happening in lower to middle-income countries we have nineteen million Less smokers than we had two years ago. That is the first time that we see such a decline. Dr. Rudiger Kresch is urging countries to continue putting control policies in place for tobacco. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg, Karen.
3: All right, Amy, thank you. We do bring you news throughout the day right here on Bloomberg Radio. But now you can get the latest news on demand, and that means whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Hour. John.
5: Karen, Atlanta Falcons, one of several NFL teams looking for a head coach, and indications that the Falcons are looking for a big name to be their new coach. The day after they interviewed Bill Belichick, they interviewed Jim Harbaugh, who previously had already interviewed with the Los Angeles Chargers. So Harbaugh clearly has an interest in returning to the NFL and leaving Michigan, where he just won a national championship. Reportedly, Harbaugh, if he stays with Michigan, wants it written into his contract that he can't be fired. Due to NCAA violations. Mike Tomlin has reportedly told his team in Pittsburgh that he'll remain as coach of the Steelers. It's a job he's had for 17 years. The Steelers have only had three different head coaches in the last 54 years. Jason Kelsey told his teammates in Philadelphia just after that blowout loss at Tampa Bay at the end of their season that he's retiring at age 36. 13 years, all with the Eagles. He won a Super Bowl. He went to the Pro Bowl seven times. Talia Tangabaloa, that's two of his younger brothers, been playing quarterback for Maryland denied a waiver for another year of eligibility, so he is turning pro. Battle of the NBA's top two big men, Joel Embiid outplayed Nikola Jokic. He scored 41 points in the second straight game. Philadelphia beat Denver 126-121. Big comeback in Phoenix, led by Kevin Durant. They were down 22 in the fourth quarter. The Suns rallied, top Sacramento by two. Hockey of the Capitals, a 2-0 win over Anaheim. College Hoops, second-ranked Purdue, an easy win at Indiana. John Stash, Bloomberg Sports.
1: You know success when you see it.
2: Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde says aggressive bets on interest rate cuts from the financial markets are not helping policymakers with their task to bring down inflation. But she says it is likely the ECB will cut rates in the summer. Madame Lagarde spoke with our editor-at-large, Francine Lacroix, from the World Economic Forum's Bloomberg House in Davos, Switzerland. Let's listen in to part of that conversation now.
7: When you look at inflation... When you look at monetary policy, what's changed your mind on how quickly we get a cut from the ECB? You know, when
6: I look at a year ago in Davos, um, and when I compare that with where we are today, I see um, a slope downward, uh, but certainly not a slope which is at target where we want it. So that's what we have achieved, I think, In uh, in a little over a year, bring inflation back from where it was in October 22 at 10.2% down to a 2.9% month on month December, and certainly with the prospect of keeping it down and further down because our target is 2% and we are, you know, I would have said a year ago that we are determined, we want to get it to 2%. I would say to you now that we are confident that we will get it to that target 2% medium term.
7: Are are markets too optimistic on on interest rates I'm
6: not not going to comment on on markets. Markets do their job, they have their numbers, they have their objectives. Um, What we do at the ECB and what I think most central banks would do is work as hard as we can collecting data, using artificial intelligence, by the way, for that, uh, analyzing data, uh, confronting viewpoints, checking models against empirical data, doing scenario analysis, and being as um, as comprehensive as we can to anticipate uh, what's coming. On. And it's, it's hard, you know, because what many people don't understand is that monetary policy works with a lag. So whatever we do now is going to have an impact in a few months, and sometimes a year or two. And we have to take that in, in account to decide what we do, how long we hold, and what decision we make in due course.
7: When you, t- when you say that you gather data also with AI, does, mm-hmm. it, does AI also analyze? Because again, you're looking at the current data, you're trying to forecast what your monetary policy is doing in the future. Mm-hmm. So is it algorithms? Like how does that work? We do data collection a lot. Uh, we, we don't...
6: Um, we don't determine monetary policy using algorithm and artificial intelligence. And I think that time, we can check with the AI experts, of course, but I, I don't think that that time has, has come yet.
7: When you look at, again, the, the forecast, and I understand you're not focused on the markets, but if the markets... The price... Price... that I'm
6: not focused. We look at them. We look at what they say. We are attentive.
7: But everyone
6: has their job. And, and we, we cannot, you know, sort of second guess what they will think that we are thinking that they are second guessing. I mean, it's, it's a catch-22 <laughs> job,
7: right? But, but if the market is too optimistic about cuts, mm-hmm. does it actually hurt but They're not helping the fight
6: against inflation by doing that.
7: I was going to ask you that. So mm-hmm. it makes your, your job harder if, if, if they're actually mispricing what you're trying to tell them.
6: It is not helping our fight against inflation. If, if the anticipation is such that you know, they are way too high compared with what's likely to happen.
7: Is it too early to cry victory against inflation? How do you, how do you see it behaving?
6: We are on the, on the right path. We are directionally towards the 2%. Mm-hmm. But unless and until we are confident that it is sustainably at 2% medium term and we have the data to uh, you know, uh, support it, I'm not going to shout victory. No, not yet.
7: How much is the inflation reduction thanks to your monetary policy, and how much of it is luck? Yeah. No, I wouldn't call it luck.
6: Um, I think two factors have played a critical role, and it's the, the decline in energy prices that we have observed. You know, Energy prices pushed prices up massively, and energy prices decline, of course, has a similar impact. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the, the the bottlenecks that we have observed uh, as a result of COVID in particular, and which lasted quite a lot of uh, quite a long time, has gradually faded out, and that also had an impact. You know, more supply, more availability of of uh, uh, goods. Second factor, the third factor is monetary policy, and it's undoubtedly been effective, if only to anchor inflation expectations, which we know is really important. So it has had an impact on inflation itself, but it has definitely had had an impact on inflation expectations, which by all accounts and all surveys and all measurements have come down and are really now broadly onto that 2% medium-term target that we have. I know it's obsessive, 2% medium-term target, but yeah, that's what it
7: is. Yeah, but but at least it it should guide the markets, right? I mean, it's good to be obsessive. Well, if they don't
6: know, that that's what we are aiming for, then they need to have their head examined. That's
7: for sure. <laughs> and then again, talk to me a little bit about wage bargaining. So again, yeah. is that going to be on the upside? And could that change you know, the, the, the timing hmm.
6: of a possible rate? Cost? Well, I'm glad you mentioned wage, wages in general, wage yeah. bargaining in particular. And I'll, I'll go to that, but I want to tell you that there are three things that I'm watching carefully. Wage bargainings, profit margins, energy prices, and hopefully not, but the coming back of um, supply bottlenecks. Those are four key components which could have a serious impact on the work that we're doing against inflation. But back to your uh, wage question. Wages have gone up, but relatively slowly. So in prices have gone up earlier and faster than wages. So we are now facing a moment of not only some degree of alignment, but catch-up as well. So employees have lost purchasing power in the course of 21, 22, and there is now a catch-up effect in the bargaining um, discussions that are taking place. We will know a lot more uh, probably in April, May, because the numbers, the, the, the bargaining agreements are being negotiated in the first quarter of every year, and the results come in after the agreements have been closed. So that gives us indication that we can, you know, corroborate and, and verify in the in the late spring, I would say, of uh, of 24. That will be a strong indication. Our wages slowly catching up, and that catch-up process will take place over the course of two or three years possibly, or is there a very strong catch-up coupled with an alignment with uh, inflation, which would uh, give me concern, because while we're not seeing today's second-round effect, that could be the result of this, this sort of two-fold yeah. process.
7: But are, are you confident that there will be a cut this year in interest rates? I'm
6: I'm confident that short of another major shock, we have reached a peak, okay? Now, we have to stay restrictive for as long as necessary to make sure that we get to that state where we are all saying, okay, confident that it is at 2% medium term. I know some people argue that maybe we are overshooting, maybe we're taking risks. I think the risk would be worse if we went too fast and had to come back to more tightening because we would have wasted all the efforts that everybody has put in the last 15 months. The US election? Yeah, let me have some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) How worried are you about the US election? It's for the American people to decide what they want uh, with their politics, with their government, with their future. But obviously, we are all concerned about it because the United States is the largest economy, the largest uh, defense country in the world, and has been a, a, a beacon of democracy with all its upside and downside. But this is, this is what they should be considering. And of course, we cannot interfere with their choice. It's their choice, and that's the, the beauty of democracy. But we have to be extremely attentive and anticipate, just as we do with inflation, You know, we do scenarios what if, what if, what if, then what do we do? Because it, that's the real question. And, and you know, where I sit now in Frankfurt, head of the ECB, I think that we have to be strong as Europeans and not um, assume that we can rely on whoever our friends are around the world because these things change over the course of time, as we have
7: seen. Yeah. So, so what if Donald Trump gets into the White House? What are some of the policies that Europe could be put in place to not be caught also between China and, and the US mm-hmm. with Donald Trump in the White House?
6: Well, for one, it has to be strong of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, you, if I look at my own shop, uh, because it matters to monetary policy transmission. I think that, and you will hear that from others, we have to accelerate capital market union. We need financing in Europe. There is a lot of saving in Europe, and we have to make sure that those savings actually stay here to finance what needs to be financed, which is predominantly the climate transition, which is digitalization, which is enough reindustrialization conducted with a targeted uh, approach so that we can on the key, in the key areas, be
7: self-sufficient. But are there policies that you would put in place now for Europe to, I guess, counter the, the U.S. exceptionalism, which, you know, could be questioned going forward?
6: I think I would accelerate many of the initiatives that have been taken. And I would uh, encourage uh, European leaders to put aside a little bit. Uh, their respective idiosyncrasy, idiosyncratic differences to be more together because, you know, it's a question of, of size and scale. And Europe is a very large market, has a very sizable population, mm-hmm. has capacity to innovate, has financing. It has to, you know, be a little bit more cohesive together and, and forward-looking.